kitties may go to that place. I would like, uh, before I get going, to just offer a quick prayer for Heather Carr, who still may be in surgery this morning. Uh, they were doing exploratory surgery, and she's been in a lot of pain, and, and uh, they're not quite sure what it is. So let's pray real briefly for her. Lord, we, uh, we lift Heather to you. We pray for her healing. We pray for the skill of the physicians. Be with Al and Rhoda and the family. I know this is uh, scary. So we offer Heather to you. Bless her. Touch her. In Jesus' name. Amen. Today as we continue through the Gospel of John, I'm starting, I'm going to read John 15, verses 1 through 8. Very familiar passage of Scripture that often people don't understand. Starting verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it may be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burn. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." At the end of chapter 14, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Come now, let us leave. With these words, Jesus called his disciples to leave the upper room and go with him to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. The path took them, I'm sure, past many orchards that surrounded the outskirts of Jerusalem. And in the bright light of the full Passover moon, the vineyards would have been, and the vines themselves would have been quite visible. And as he did so often through his earthly ministry, Jesus once again used whatever was at hand to teach and illustrate the truths he was trying to get through to his disciples. And so he looks at them as they walk through a vineyard. I am the vine. You are the branches. The vine in the Old Testament was a symbol for Israel. But Jesus was saying, I am the true vine. The whole Bible does not point to Israel. The whole Bible points to me. In verse 4, Jesus makes a command. He says that it is the duty of every branch to remain in the vine. Remain in me, he says. Abide in me, it says in the King James. This is in the present tense imperative. It means abide and keep abiding. Connect and stay connected. The first priority of the branches, Jesus says, is not to bear fruit, it is not to create seeds or new life. It is not to make up its own nutrients. The first priority of any branch is to stay connected to the vine so that the life of the vine can pass through it and produce fruit. Did you notice? Jesus never commands us to bear fruit. He never says, branches, you bear fruit. 
Fruit is a byproduct of branches allowing the life of the vine to pass through them. Now, in Jesus' day, they would have understood this pretty well. But in our day, we don't. So how do we abide? How do we obey our Lord in this critical truth? Because all through this passage, there are commands. Remain in me, abide in me, remain in me, abide in me. Our part in abiding is a continual bringing of our lives to Christ. It is more than daily devotions. It is more than going to church. It is more than Bible memorization. It is more than trying to be good. What Jesus is talking about is literally a way of life. At its heart, abiding is interacting with the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us regularly and continuously. The first aspect that I want to bring out about abiding is that it is a focus. One writer talks about Nicholas Herman. Centuries ago, a man named Nicholas Herman, who was an uneducated household servant from a poor family, got converted to the Christian faith. And his conversion was kind of unique. He got converted by looking at a tree. It was winter and the tree was barren. But it occurred to Nicholas that the tree would grow leaves again in the spring. That it would come back. This produced in him a deep sense of God's care and power. It struck him that, that if God does that for trees, he would surely do it for human beings. He saw the glory of God emanating from a single tree in the winter without any leaves, and it amazed him. So this young man entered into a monastic community, spent his life in the kitchen as a cook and dishwasher, and all while privately devoting his life to being with God, devoting his life to abiding. Today, we know him as Brother Lawrence. When he died, friends gathered some of his letters together, and turned them into a book. The book is called The Practice of the Presence of God, which is just another way of saying abiding. It was written in the 17th century and is now thought to be the most widely read book in history, in the history of the human race, other than the Bible. Can you imagine that? The second bestseller in all of history was written by an uneducated dishwasher. When your soul is with God, it doesn't matter if you're a dishwasher or if you're president. Our soul thrives not through our accomplishments, but by simply being with God, staying connected to God, walking with God. Now think about this. What a difference an attitude makes. What a difference a focus makes. Brother Lawrence was working as a cook and a dishwasher in an obscure monastery as an obscure priest doing menial labor. And yet, and, and by the way, after a few years, I am sure any of us would have been tempted to be miserable doing it. After a while, I'm sure in the kitchen scrubbing pots and pans, most of us would have gone, when do I get promoted out of this dump? Brother Lawrence said, abided. He washed every plate for the glory of God. He filled every cup for the glory of God. He made meals for the glory of God. He dried dishes for the glory of God. He could have been miserable, but here was the difference. Because he was abiding in Christ, he found Jesus Christ in the kitchen. I don't 
Women, you should shout hallelujah here. Oh, never mind. It's going to be one of those. Okay. He found that God was with him and that if he did these things, if he practiced the presence of God and did these things, he found that there was a joy that spilled out onto others all around him. He affected the whole chemistry of that monastery. He affected the kitchen crew. And he affected, through his life, he influenced untold millions of people. Not bad for a dishwasher. The kingdom of God comes to us every day. And every day we get to choose what we will focus on throughout that day. It's a decision, the same decision uh, Brother Lawrence made day after day after day, year after year, is the same opportunities we have every day. Every day the Spirit of Christ whispers to us, are you going to go through this day without me? And you'll probably be stressed, impatient, feeling sorry for yourself, a pain in the neck to the people around you, or are you going to spend the day with me? You can focus on me. You can be grateful you're alive. You can praise me for the job you have, even though it's a lousy job, it's still putting food on the table. You can praise me for the healthy children you have, even though they're driving you nuts. You can live in your never-satisfied life in the Spirit, or you, you can focus on me. Often we focus on almost everything else but God. What's it going to be? Let me give you a second step here. It's not only about focus, but it is about planning. You, if you wait for abiding to be something spontaneous that you just suddenly start doing, you will never do it. It's a decision you make ahead of time. If you want to abide, let me give you some baby steps to abiding. The first baby step means you get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord Jesus, today I cannot, but you can. Rehearse your day with him. You know what's coming. Pray through your schedule. Have you ever thought of doing that first thing in the morning? Think through the stressful moments you anticipate. For the most part, you can predict the circumstances that will test your character that day. Go ahead and claim your dependency ahead of time. As you imagine yourself moving through the paces of the day, tell the Lord, I cannot. But your life flowing from the vine into the branches, your life through me can. Lord, I'll probably run into Joe. I don't like Joe, but I happen to know you do. Will you like him through me? Father, I want to love my spouse, but you know that's difficult right now. I cannot, Lord, but you can. Today, I have to give my boss an answer. I know what you want me to say, but I don't have the strength to say no. I cannot, Lord, but you can. Spirit of God, speak through me. Today, I'll see Jane at the office. I cannot control my thoughts when she's around. I cannot, Spirit, but you can. Take me. Fill me with your love. Show me your beauty instead of hers. This is going to be a stressful day, Father. You know I have a tendency to lose my cool when the pressure is on. I can't confess that I cannot handle the events of this day, but you can handle them through me. To abide in the Spirit, you must plan for it. It's not going to drop out of heaven onto your head. 
You must plan during the day when you are going to cling to Jesus. Is that clear? Okay. <laughs> Another aspect of abiding is believing that God is real and present and you are looking and listening for him everywhere. Didn't Paul say in God spirit we live and move and have our being? Didn't he say that? The root word for obedience in Latin means to listen. We are called to listen. We are called to be lookouts for God. We are called to listen for whispers. We are called to see where God is moving and gravitate towards that. That happens far more than you think it is. Back in the 19th century, if you needed a message sent quietly across a great distance, you had to use the telegraph system. It was really simple. They put a wire on a pole from town to town, and messages were tapped out in Morse code, translated, and then the messages given to uh, where they were going. At one Western Union telegraph station, three men were applying for the same job back in the 1800s. They all wanted to be the person who got this job. All of them knew Morse code. It was a requirement for the job. The supervisor, though, unknown to them, invited all three of them to come into the office for an interview at the same time. And sitting side by side, the three men waited for the supervisor to come out and do an interview with each of them. For 20 minutes, no one came out as these three guys looked at each other and wondered what was going on. But after about 20 minutes, one of the men applying for the job got up, walked to the supervisor's office, and without knocking, turned the doorknob, went in and shut the door behind him. The other two candidates for the job sat there befuddled, and they got more confused a little later, five minutes later, when the supervisor and the man came out of the office, and the supervisor said, thank you two gentlemen for coming. You can go home now. I've just hired this man for the job. The other two candidates protested. You didn't interview us. You didn't even give us a chance. To which the supervisor responded, for the last 25 minutes, I have been sending out in Morse code a message you could hear clearly in this office that said, if you are here for the job, the first of you who hears and interprets this message and walks into my office will get this job. Only one person was paying attention to what was going on around them. Only one person was listening. You see, a lot of abiding is not just talk, 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 talk. In fact, that's almost the antithesis of abiding. Most of abiding is having a spirit of listening while you're doing other things. Like right now, I'm preaching. I see you. I know what I want to say. But deeper on another level, my spirit is going, help me, Jesus. And you can do that with anything, anywhere. You can learn to live life on two levels. The message was broadcast to all three. Only one listened. Messages are being broadcast this morning, by the way. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. So listen. You can learn to turn into the, spirit, to the Spirit's frequency in your soul. Please hear this. Abiding is learned. It is not something that just happens. It is not automatic. Learning to listen to the Spirit of Christ is doable, though. And you know why I know it's doable? Because it's a commandment. God wouldn't ask us to do something that's impossible to do. It's like learning to play music. When you first learn to 
you're learning to play, you, you fumble around. You sound terrible. It's laborious to everyone. But as you practice it, it gets easier and easier. And if you keep at it, you go from playing notes to playing music. You flow with the rhythms and tones. Your hands and hearts move together in harmony with the instrument. Or take like raising your kids. Remember the first kid you got? You thought they were a china doll? You were afraid? You know, I remember with our first child, Christopher, people would say, can we hold him? And Kim would go, do you have, and seriously, she'd go, do you have any communicable diseases? You were being screened right there. The second child, it was, can we hold him? Oh, sure. <laughs> and the third child, we went around going, would you like to hold him? <laughs> and do you remember that fateful day when your kids became mobile? Your life changed, didn't it? And after a while, as you grew together, you learned how to know when your children's cries were fake or when they were cries for come quick. Our youngest, you know, he, Jesse couldn't stand up to Zach and, 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 and Christopher. They were so much bigger than him. Jesse perfected the fake cry. They hit me. No, he didn't. He, he'd take them down. No, you know, <laughs> anyway. And then there are those cries that say, come quick. And you learned and developed a feel for when silence was golden or when silence meant they're up to something no good. I better check this out. You knew or know your children's voice, and more importantly, you can discern the, your children's tone of voice. You know, you know, you, you learn to tune into your kids, don't you? You can learn to abide in Christ. It means over and over again, decision by decision, temptation by temptation, situation after situation, conversation after conversation, we invite the Spirit of Christ to nudge us, to touch us, to guide us. We give God a chance to be real. And sometimes this is what faith comes down to. Do you really believe this stuff or don't you? And all of this takes practice. Frank Laubach played his games of minutes where he tried to focus on Christ for a few more minutes and then a few more minutes and then a few more minutes, building, building, building habits. Learning this discipline, by the way, is the work of a lifetime. As I said earlier, it's a lifestyle. And my encouragement to you is this, start small. Invite Christ into one or two parts of your day that you're not looking forward to. And while you're in those moments, be operating on two levels. Be doing what you need to do, but be going inside Jesus. I'm listening. I'm open. Open your heart to him at different times of the day for a few minutes of a, at a time. Run. You can try these little experiments. I, I don't care how you do it. All great changes, though, begin with small actions. The couch potato who can barely walk from the house to the car without getting out of breath should not say, I'm going to start running and sign up for a marathon the next week. Try walking around the block first. And after you get that down, try walking around two blocks. Body muscles build gradually. And guess what? Spiritual muscles work the same way. Even the slightest effort toward abiding means that it will be easier the next time. Spiritual habits start one action at a time until they're ingrained. You know, the writer of, 
of uh, outliers, I think it's Gladstone, says if you really, really, really want to be great at something, he has studied this across the board in his book Outliers. And he said, if you really want to be great at anything, whether it is music or art or writing or athletics, I'll throw in prayer right here. He says it takes 10,000 hours of practice. 10,000 hours of trying again and again and again. Practicing until the skills are learned, the gifts are realized. Abiding is not complicated, folks. It can be done by a child. In fact, Jesus recommended you become like one. It can be done by high school dropouts. It can be done by the chronically ill. It can be done by the aged. Abiding is possible for anyone because, you see, it is not a measure of your IQ. It is not a measure of your physical strength. It is not a measure of your, of your, of your education. It's a measure of your habit, mental habits of opening up to Christ throughout the day. It is training your spiritual muscles, and these muscles cannot be trained in five minutes. Jesus craves intimacy with us. What destroys intimacy, intimacy with Christ is the same, same thing that destroys intimacy with any relationship. Neglect. Not paying attention. Getting used to each other. Not spending enough time until the person we love drifts away. Not trying to get to know someone better. Just making it stagnant. As Jeremiah wrote, Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. What was God's... Number one complaint to Jeremiah all those years ago, he said, I'm, I'm ignored. I am the God of Israel, and Israel ignores me. Fran Alshorn wrote, there really is one test of our prayer life, and it's this. Namely, do we want God? Do we want intimacy with him so much that we will go on and on until we find it, even if it takes five years Six years, ten years to connect with him. If you want to become a doctor, a lawyer, a minister, a teacher, a, min a musician, an architect, an engineer, or an athlete, it takes commitment. You have to plug away at it. It doesn't come overnight. And then she concludes, maybe the same thing is true of prayer. Maybe it just takes a lot of practice till you get good at it. The only way you learn how to pray, folks, is you pray. You can read a book till the cow comes home. You can listen to tapes. You can listen to this sermon. You will not learn to pray listening to this sermon. You will learn to pray by praying. But listen to the sermon anyway. And when you pray, I need to tell you, you will run into barriers. Because when you pray, you will start to mine some stuff in your heart that you may have packed down a long time ago and hoped it wouldn't resurface. But when you start to pray, guess what the Spirit does? He goes for the stuff that you've buried. For me, it was shame and fear, the twin rewards of a dysfunctional, awful childhood. Out of fear and shame from my childhood came doubt and at times out-and-out -out skepticism. One day, when I had been a Christian and a pastor for 20 years, one day the Spirit broke through and made me realize I had been getting in my way and his for all 20 of those years. I decided one day, approximately 25 years ago, that I needed to get out of my way 
and believe what I believed. I needed to stop letting fear and shame prevent me from receiving what Christ was giving. I began to let Christ's grace win, to let my heart allow Christ's spirit to be real when he showed up and not constantly questioning what I was feeling. I mean, that happened to me over and over. I would, I would feel the love of God. I would feel the presence of God. And then I'd sit there and I'd go, is this real or not? Is this me? Is this some kind of psychological projection or not? And by the time I had finished analyzing it, I had quenched the spirit. I decided that if Christ's love and grace was real, I ought to thank him for it instead of letting my doubt of, of, or skepticism ruin the moment. How many of us in this room, God has showed up and you went, no, it can't be real. And down, down goes your spiritual life. Do I hear Christ all the time? No, no one does. No one bats a thousand. Anybody that says they hear God perfectly clearly all the time, you, you need to run because you're in a cult. But it just may surprise you if you try this and keep plugging away at it. Month after month, year after year, it will surprise you just how real Jesus can get. How conscious he can become to you. How regularly he will guide you. How much his love can melt your heart. I, I wish, one of the things I wish is I had written down all the ways God has spoken to me through the years as I've tried to abide. It would go in a book. It would fill a book. The spirit fruit does not come from a New Year's resolution. It does not come from trying harder. It does not come from how smart you are or how educated you are. It comes from connectedness. We must be connected to the source. We must let Christ's life pass through ours into the world. Why do we have to be connected? Why, do we must, why must we abide? Because, folks, you can study till the cows come home about Jesus, but only Jesus can make you like Jesus. You can read about the love of God till more cows come home. <laughs> but only the Spirit can make the love of God real in your heart. We have traded intellect for experience. God wants to give you more than in, an intellectual understanding. He wants you to experience this stuff. He wants you to feel his life coming from the vine into you, the branch. And Jesus said, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. Love and joy and peace and kindness and humility and self-control and Patience and one other thing I can't remember. That will be formed in us. And often, here's the neat thing, often because it is so natural when you abide, you won't even realize you're changing and becoming more like Jesus. You know, the other day, I, I, I realized that I am becoming sweeter and sweeter with age. Now, you have to understand, this is not how Dalton's age. We get nastier and nastier and meaner and meaner. Before my, died, my dad died at 96 and a half, my sister had dreams of strangling him. And one day she woke up and her hands were numb. She, that's Dalton's. The fact that I'm getting sweeter, you know, it concerned my medical doctor. He said, he said you're about to give yourself diabetes. Okay. <laughs> 
when I, when I want to sweeten a cup of coffee, I stick my pinky in it. Uh, humility prevents me from going further. Too late. God, when you abide, all kinds of things happen that you don't realize. And we will, Jesus said, he didn't say, if you abide in me, you might bear a little fruit. Or he didn't say, well, you might, you know, you, you, if you work really hard at bearing fruit, you'll bear. He said, if you abide in me, you will be, bear much fruit. Guaranteed. We are told that if we abide, it will seem natural as it happens. Because you see, abiding is an automatic. But when you abide, fruit production is automatic. Hallelujah. We change. Brennan Manning said that uh, when he, in 1978, he had a turning point in his life. He went on a 30-day retreat of silence at the Warnersville Jesuit Monastery, a place I've gone a number of times. And he said his director, a Jesuit priest named Bob Ham, guided me to a passage in the Song of Solomon. And it was chapter 7, verse 10 in the Song of Solomon. And it states this, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And he said, over the past 40 years, I have prayed that passage as a way of connecting with God. There are many ways to connect with God. Some people pray the Jesus prayer. You know, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And, and, and that's how they connect. Or you can just use the word Jesus. Or any way you can do it, do it. He said, I've, I have prayed that passage in 747s, in monasteries, caves, retreat centers, deserted places. And he said... I've discovered that when I take those words personally, really personally, and when the Spirit makes those words real, he said, here's what happens. The drumbeats of doom and shame in my head are replaced by a song in my heart. He said, I am no longer dependent on the company of others to ease my loneliness, for he is Emmanuel, God with us. I'm never alone. The praise of others does not send my spirit soaring, nor does their criticism plunge me into the pit. It may feel bad, but it's not a sickness unto death. He said, and in significant interior developments, he said, I have gone from I should pray to I must pray to I want to pray. Are you there yet? He said, I live with an awareness that the Father not only loves me, but likes me. Did you know God likes you? You know, often we have this theology that God is love and Jesus died, and so he's got to love us, but he holds his nose around us. You ever feel like that? Well, apparently I'm the only one. I'll come to the altar after the service. Anyway, he says, I've stopped comparing myself with others in the same way I don't trumpet my own importance. I'm free. And he said, I read Zephaniah 3, 18, 17 and 18, and I see God dancing for joy because of me, and it creates joy in me as well. And he says, on and throughout the day, I know Jesus is with me with a gaze of infinite tenderness. That, brothers and sisters, is spirit fruit. That is the fruit that comes from abiding. It doesn't come from a 30-second quickie prayer. And the other kind of fruit, the fruit of good works and righteousness and justice, also comes out of abiding. 
works that glorify God. You know, if you're going to take on the system for some injustice, you better be connected to the source. Because the world out there will kick your behind real easy. The world belongs to the devil. And if you take it on, you better be connected to the Spirit of God and His Spirit flowing through you. Jeffrey Boyd wrote of a woman named Patricia in Washington, D.C. This woman was remarkable. She suffered from the effect of diabetes. And while she had diabetes, she had a heart attack. And then after that, she had two strokes. After the two strokes, she went blind. She went into renal failure, which required dialysis. And while all this was going on, the diabetes was working its magic, and both of her legs were amputated, all while only in her 30s. She was placed in a nursing home, except for those several times a year when she had to be hospitalized, frequently going into a coma for one or two weeks during those stays. Pat was a part, like I said, of a, of a church in D.C. that wanted to create a homeless shelter. They could not find anyone with the leadership skills in the church to pull it off. So guess who volunteered? Pat. Pat volunteered to set up a homeless shelter in D.C. And in between dialysis and amputations and comas, she pulled together the team, and she got the zoning changed. She got architectural help, and she did all the fundraising and got it done. Then she helped the team figure out how to minister to homeless people without being paternalistic or degrading, how to help people who are homeless really find a way up and out. And then she found a team, and she recruited and trained the staff who ran the shelter. When Pat died, after the shelter's first successful year in operation, it was, you talk about a diverse crowd. Homeless people were standing next to U.S. cabinet members, including the Secretary of State, James Baker. That, my friends, is the result of abiding. Pat said, the only thing I can depend on with my body is that it will fail me. Somehow my body is mine, but it's not me, thank God. Pat learned to abide. Almost everything was taken away from her, but nothing could take away Jesus in her. Nothing could take away the spirit in her. As her body withered, her soul grew great. If God could use her, don't you think he can use you? How often do you go in a coma? Somebody said in the sermon, right? <laughs> Such a life is worth whatever it takes. Abide. Abide because fruit will come. Not it might come or some will. It will come. And Jesus said, if you abide real well, you will bear much fruit. Abide because Jesus wants to revolutionize revolutionize our lives by pouring his life through our life, not merely tweak ours and our own energy. Abide because Christ craves intimacy with us. Abide because it is what branches were made to do. You will be complete if you don't abide in the vine. And then when we don't abide in the vine, guess what? Jesus told us what happens. We wither and we die. 
You can do this. Start small. Take baby steps. But Jesus' goal was not church attendance. Jesus' goal was not Bible memorization. Jesus' goal was not Sunday school. Jesus' goal was not fancy church programs and buildings. Jesus' goal was that you would walk with him every day in the Spirit. Every day. That you would abide. And by the way, there's many ways things the Bible, Bible calls this walk. Abiding is the same as remaining, is the same as walking in the Spirit, is the same of bringing every thought captive, is the same of praying without ceasing. On and on it goes. And by the way, everything I just quoted to you is a commandment too. God's commandment to us is abide in me and I will abide in you and you will change and you will do other great things that bring change. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but, you know, that's worth the journey. It really is. At this time, we are going to partake of communion. And I love one of the things that is written in communion. I'd like the servers of communion to go and gather themselves. Today we're going to take communion in a, uh, up front. So you leave on the right side of the section you're in and come back in on the left side of the section you're in. You may partake uh, when you feel ready. You, please don't rush. Um, also, as you partake, uh, I need to let you know, you don't have to be a member of this church or a member of the Brethren in Christ Church. We just ask that you love the Lord. His table is open to anyone. And in the plates, in the bread, there will be little uh, plastic packets with gluten-free bread in it in case you are allergic to that product. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. That's all of us. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all fears and cares. Let this stuff be real. Let Jesus be real this morning. Let this bread and cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Let us do the responsive reading. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave to his disciples. We will follow his example. Brothers and sisters, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Take and eat this bread, remembering that he was born to be our Savior. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And here's the main thing. Feed on him in your heart and be thankful. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup, blessed it, and gave to his disciples. We do likewise. Brothers and sisters, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Take this cup, remembering that he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink it in, drink of it together, and be thankful.
The best way to do communion is to feed and drink Jesus in through his spirit and praise him for showing up. The question isn't whether Jesus shows up. The question is whether we show up. Okay? Let's show up this morning. Let's believe the stuff we say we believe this morning. Okay? The communion is now the all... Come come on up.
I'd like the intercessors to come forward. We're going to open the altar for prayer as we sing this final song. Again, if somebody needs prayer, we, we do not want someone to walk out of here without, without someone uh, helping them in that way, if they want help that way. So uh, if the intercessors will come forward, if you would stand and let us worship the Lord. The altar is open.